0: Tell you this morning that even if you haven't been to church in a while, um, or even if you're not even sure 100% where you stand in terms of what you believe about church and what you believe about God, we want to tell you this morning that you are amongst friends, that you are welcome here, that we are glad to have you, that we love you, and we are grateful for you. And we believe that God has something special that He wants to do in your life, whether you realize it or not, whether you believe it or not. We know that God does that. He moves on our behalf. He moves in our lives, and And here at Anchor Church, I want to tell you that we believe in a journey. We believe that God takes all of us on a journey, and there are some things that God does in your life all at once. How many of you have ever experienced that? All of a sudden, there's a big change. All of a sudden, God opens your eyes and opens your heart and opens your mind um, to His love and His goodness, and God changes everything, and He can do that, but God often initiates a change in a moment but then we walk it out over time. There's a journey that he takes us on. And so you might be sitting here this morning, if you're visiting with us, saying, well, I don't know if, if I really belong because I don't usually go to church. I only really go to church on Easter or at Christmas time. And I grew up a Christian, but I don't know where I really stand, everyday life kind of Christianity. And, and, um, and, and, and I, I don't feel like I belong because maybe I don't pray enough or I don't know the Bible well enough. People have all of these things that they feel. But we want to tell you today that you don't need to worry about all of those things. Because this is a journey, the only thing that you have to worry about this morning is taking the next step. There's only one step that you need to take, and it's the next one, and God will do the rest from there. God is working in our hearts, and and so what we're saying here this morning at Anchor Church is that you are welcome to join us on this journey as we become the people that God has called us to become. We know that we don't have what it takes in our own selves. We're not perfect people. Um, We're very imperfect people, and and we all have flaws, and we all have our, our things, but we also believe in a very perfect Savior. Come on, we believe in a perfect Jesus uh, who works on our behalf. And so this morning, in the time that we have left, I just want to share a very simple message with you uh, entitled, Your Life is God-Breathed. Your Life is God-Breathed. Won't you do me a favor and turn to the person next to you and just tell them with conviction and passion this morning that their lives is God-breathed. Say, Your Life is God-Breathed. Now you can turn to your second option, your second choice, and just tell them as well, I'm sorry I skipped you earlier, but your life is also God-breathed. I do believe that. So what do we we mean when we say that your life is God-breathed? Well, what we mean is that you're not here by accident this morning. You're not here on this earth. You don't have the life that you have and the and, and the gifts that you have and the abilities that you have and the context that you have without um, God having ordained those things. We're saying that you're not just here by accident. You're not just here or the result of random chance or a romantic evening that your parents had a long time ago, right? That's not why you're here this morning. You're not here by chance, but you're here this morning because God had a dream, and that dream was you. God had an idea in his heart, deep in his heart. We know that God is a God that acts with purpose. He acts with intention. He does nothing because it's random or because it's just on a whim. God is intentional in every single thing that he does, and this morning you can be convinced of the fact that God had a dream, he had a passion in his heart, he had an idea, and that idea was you and it was me. He saw you before you were even formed. He knew what you would look like. He knew how He would shape you. He knew what He would put within your heart, the personality that He would give you and the way that He would design you and put you together. I don't know if you have ever um, tried to build your own home or been involved or seen people that build their own homes, but it always starts with a dream. It always starts with a vision. It always starts with an idea of what you would like to, to have one day. And then it goes from there into a blueprint. It becomes a plan. It becomes a structure. And that structure then gets enacted. And over time, you begin to realize and see the thing that you dreamed come about. Now, God did that with your life. The person that you are today. We spend so much time in our lives comparing ourselves to others, missing the beauty of how God has individually handmade each of us. I don't know about you, but when I buy something and it says it's handmade, I'm willing to pay more for it, right? I think people say that just so that you'd pay more for it. They say it's handmade, and what they mean is a hand, put it in a box or something. But, but, but when you find something that is genuinely handmade, it has more value. Why? Because it means that the maker's heart went into it. The maker's intention, his plan, his design, his passion went into it. And this morning, your life is handmade, it's handmade by the hand of God, and the life that you have is by the breath of God. I love what God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah uh, 1, and, and this has been a, a source of great encouragement to me in my life. You know why? Because I'm not perfect, and, I've, and I have flaws, and I've, and I've made mistakes, and I've, and I've done things I shouldn't have done, and, and just like all of us, I, I have often looked at my own sinfulness and my own brokenness and my own flaws and my own imperfections and felt unworthy, I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way. And then even when I stepped into ministry, I still made mistakes, and I was still not perfect, and I'm still not perfect today, and so often the devil would want to come to me and rob me of my confidence saying, you're not worthy of being up there, or you're not worthy of doing what God has called you to do, and he would rob you of your confidence. And what I take great courage in is Jeremiah 1 verse 5, because Jeremiah felt this way as a young man. He felt that he wasn't worthy, that he wasn't uh, uh, qualified enough or old enough. He, said, he went to God, he said, God, I'm just a young guy. I, I, and, and many scholars believe that he was in his early 20s. And he went to God and he says, how could you call me to do these things? I, I don't have this ability. And God says to him in Jeremiah 1 verse five, listen to this, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I love that. Before God formed us in our mother's wombs, he already knew us. He knew who we would be. He, he, he had the passion and the idea and the design of our lives in his heart before we were even formed. And he says, and before you were born, I consecrated you. To consecrate means to set aside and, and, and to make holy for a special use because God had a special use for Jeremiah just as he has a special use for all of us. And that special use, your calling that is on your life, God gave you before you were even born. And so I'd great courage in that because I know that God knew all the mistakes I would make. God knew just how imperfect I would be. And yet, he still chose to consecrate me. And he still chose to consecrate you. Before you were formed, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God has appointed all of us to share this good news, to share this message of Good Friday that we are declaring today, this good news of of a God who loves people so much that he is unwilling to give up on them, but sent his son to die. And all of us have been appointed, all of us have been consecrated, and God knew us all before we were even born. And that's, that's that's what God says about your life. He knew the person that you were going to be before he created you. And he knew it because who you are deep down. And we're going to look at a scripture that points to this in a moment. But who you are as the core person, your spiritual being, your your spiritual man, the essence of who you are. It doesn't come from nothing. It emanates from the spirit of God himself. Your spirit comes from God's spirit your life is, comes from his breath. It's the breath of God in your heart and in your life that makes you who you are. And so God has this incredible plan, this incredible purpose for you. Later on, he says to Jeremiah in 29, 11, many of you have heard the scripture before, but he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. He not only designs you, but He designs a destiny for you. We always say here at Anchor Church that your design reveals your destiny. If you don't know what you were created for, look at how God has designed you, what He's made you passionate about, the the giftings that He's given you, and pretty soon you'll find out that God has a special plan and a purpose and a role for you to fulfill in a way in which you can make a difference. I remember before I had kids, uh, praying to God that I would be able to have children, and, and, uh, and, and, and then I had three boys. I always dreamt about being able to have boys and specifically coaching them in various sporting codes, and, and, and that's already happening. My boys are four. We do cricket practice every Saturday, and, and, uh, and, and you know I had that dream um, about my boys, and, and, and now I look at them, and they're exactly what I dreamt of. They're, they're, they're more than what I could have hoped for, and, and I have plans for them. For their lives and those are good plans one of them can play for the Springboks. doesn't matter which one any any one of the three the other one can play for the pro Tears, and the third one can support us all financially by playing golf on the pga tour those are the good plans that i have for my kids good plans the only difference between my plans for my kids, although I can train them and I can encourage them and I can help them, is that when God has a plan for you, he not only hopes something for you, but he designs you specifically for it. He creates you in order that you have everything that you need in order to fulfill those good plans that he has for you. He gives you his grace and his giftings, which is his grace in various forms, and then he knits you together as the perfect person to fulfill that specific role on this earth. And that is relevant and that is applicable to every single one of us in this room today. God has a plan for your life. He knits us together. Psalm 139 verse 13, I love this scripture. It says, for you formed my inward parts, the deepest parts of me God formed. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I love that, that, that imagery, how God intricately weaves us together, not just a random uh, connection of atoms, not just a, a, a DNA code that, that develops a fetus, but intricately woven. Piece by piece, put together by God. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. God knew you before there was a body for you to inhabit. In your book, God has a book, and in them were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. The days that God ordained for you to be on this earth and what he has for you, God ordained them before there was even one of them when as yet there was none of them, he says. Verse 17 says, how precious To me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them? In other words, how much does God think about you and your life and what he has destined you for? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. Man, I think that we sometimes think that God just let us be born and then he's off elsewhere dealing with important people or, or helping pastors and the rest of us are just left scurrying around on this earth trying to do our best at it, trying to not disappoint too many people or, or trying to not fail ourselves and all the things that we had planned. And we think that God is off somewhere else doing something else. But the truth is, is that if you were to number the thoughts that God has towards you, they would outnumber the grains of sand on this earth. thinks about you all the time you are his dream you are his passion Ephesians 2 10 says for we are his workmanship we are his workmanship I love that idea, and I love that Jesus was a carpenter because I love the thought of Jesus sitting with his father uh, working on a table or on a chair or on a piece of, of wooden furniture or a piece of wooden, uh, a wooden ornament, and him just pouring his own creativity and his own passion into that furniture. Because the Bible says, in that same way, you are God's workmanship. He sat with all the creativity in his heart and all the passion in his heart and all the love in his heart and he formed you that way. That's what your life is. Skillfully and intricately designed, put together, gifted and graced so that we could walk in the good plans and in the good purposes that he has for us. It's really, really sad to me that there are millions of people who live their entire lives on this earth and die without knowing that God had a plan and a purpose for their lives. That chase things all their lives to be wealthy or to be comfortable or to, or, or to live in luxury or, or to achieve some goal, only to get there and to realize that it's as empty as everything else. That it doesn't fulfill, that it doesn't satisfy. Because it's not what we were created for. We were created for more than that. And so we have so many people who end up wandering the earth desperately searching for meaning and purpose and living this life with this unshakable sense that something is missing. Maybe you've been in that space before. Maybe you're in that space right now. There's something missing in my heart and in my life. Here's the problem. If you don't know where you come from, you won't know where you're going. If you don't know where you come from, you won't know where you're going. This is the greatest challenge that every orphan faces, is a lack of identity. Because they don't know where they come from, they don't know who they're supposed to be, and that means that they don't know where they're supposed to go or what they're supposed to do. And we have people who live in this earth not knowing their father, living as orphans, wondering who they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be pursuing in this life. But the Bible tells us where we came from. The Bible tells us where we came from, and this is where our message on your life is God breathed really hits home here in Genesis 1, as God created all of us. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over all the earth. In verse 27, he says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So all of us are created in the image of God. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust. So God went out into the wilderness, and He took dust. And in a supernatural process, He created the form of a man, just like He supernaturally created the earth and everything else in the earth. And then Adam... Uh, which Adamah, which is the Hebrew word from the dust or from the earth. We had man coming from this, this, this earthly thing and, and, and it's such, such a beautiful picture to me because there is a part of us that is just earthly. There is a part of us that is just flesh. There is a part of us that, that, that is fallible and that is weak and that is susceptible to the elements and it's this dust part of us. Our flesh came from dust and to dust it returns. It's not eternal. And so Adam was just a dust man I wanted to make a really bad dad joke there, but I'll, I'll, I'll not say that his friends called him Dusty. I won't say that, because that would be really bad. But God created Adam, and he stood there just of the earth, just a form. And he had life, but he only had biological life. We have one word for life in English, but in the Greek, they have two words, bios, meaning biological life, just like plants and trees and animals are alive. But then there's another kind of life, a zoe kind of life, a God kind of life that emanates from the Spirit and the presence of God Himself. And so Adam stood before God, it says, and he created man uh, of the dust from the ground and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Your life is God breathed. He breathed his life, the breath of life, into Adam's nostrils, and the man became a living creature. This is the God kind of life. This is the, the alive from the spiritual sense. Ultimately, God took the, all things were created, but there was one uncreated thing, one eternal thing, and that was God himself and his spirit. And what God did was he took his own spirit, the uncreated eternal part of him, and he breathed it into our nostrils, which means that the spiritual part of us is, is not like the rest of the earthly creation. It lives forever. It has an eternal life. There's a life that all of us will have after this life, because the spirit that is within us comes from the immortal God, the eternal God. So we have this this spirit. But I love the fact, and that's what it means where where it says in the scripture, and I love this, that, that God created us in His image, not that we just physically look like Him, but But beyond all the other creatures that he created, he chose the crown of his creation as people because into us he would form his own spirit. He would put his life within us. Your life is God-breathed. So you have the dust, which is the earthly part, but then you have the breath of life, which is the eternal and heavenly part. And that word for breath of life or breath or spirit or wind in the scriptures is the word ruach. Ruach, it's the, it's the life of God, it's the spirit of God, it's the wind of God, and God breathed that into us as people, and we became a living being, which means that the core of who you are is spiritual. You, we look in the mirror every day, and so we consider ourselves according to the flesh and according to our bodies, but, but you are a spirit, you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, but you, and you live in a body. But the core of who you are is a spiritual man. You know what's amazing about that? That means that you can hear God's voice even when he doesn't speak through our physical ears. That you can experience his touch even though he hasn't walked up to you um, in the physical and put his hand on you. that you can can discern his presence, you can experience his goodness and his love and his voice and his heart and, and his presence around you without him physically being here because he is here spiritually and you are a spiritual being who can perceive spiritually, who can understand spiritually, who can experience spiritually. And this is how God created us so that we could know him. He was passionate about this relationship that he wanted to have with all of us. And so he created us to know him, to enjoy him, to walk with him. The Bible says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the afternoon. He would just, just go for a walk with God, let's just chat. That's the relationship that God had with man, enjoying his goodness. But then we know what happens. Sin enters the world. People disobey God and disobedience because God is a righteous God separated us from him. Our sinfulness cuts us off from experiencing him and what happened is that we lost our breath. Have you ever had your breath cut off? Have you ever experienced that? that the, the emotion that comes out? I, I remember swimming in the ocean one day and, um, and taking, going out a little bit too deep and, and being rolled by a wave that was bigger than I thought it was gonna be and it was holding me under for a little bit and I was so deep that I felt like I couldn't come up. Sometimes we try to see how deep we can go in a, in a river or in a lake if we're swimming and we'll, we'll swim down and we're like, this is great, I'm doing well. All of a sudden you think to yourself, wait a minute, I should turn around, I need oxygen and then when you turn around, you start going up, you go, it's too far and there is a panic that overcomes you because you realize you're losing your life in that moment. One of the scariest things that ever happened to me was uh, actually just a few weeks ago, I was playing with my little boy, Jude, that boy that I dreamt about. I dreamt about him, and, and if you know Jude, he is the feistiest little uh, boy that you have ever seen, and he is so smart and so witty, and he bullies everybody, and, and, uh, and he needs Jesus, but, but I love him. <laughs> I love him. And, and and so I was playing with Jude, and I have this thing where, where, I would, uh, where, where I would hold him down and tickle him, and I've done that with the boys since they were little, and so he was trying to hold me up with his, with his legs and, um, and I hold up my weight, and I was pushing down on him um, to, to try and, and tickle him in his neck or bite him in his neck, and so um, he's pushing with his legs on his chest against me, and I'm pushing down. And all of a sudden, I must have pushed just a little bit too hard, and I might have just temporarily collapsed his lungs or something. I don't know exactly what I did. I don't know exactly what happened, but I pushed a little bit harder, and all of a sudden, he couldn't get breath. He couldn't get breath. And his eyes widened, and you could see the panic set in, and no matter what he did, and there was nothing in that moment that I could do to get breath back into him. And... I could imagine him passing out and losing his life because of of something that that happened in that moment, and and I can only imagine how God felt the moment that we as his children lost our breath. I can only imagine how God feels watching people all over this city today that don't even know that they don't have breath, that have lost their their life, that life that God created them for. The only thing I could think to do with Jude in that moment as he's gasping for air and his eyes are lighting up and he's looking to me for help is to open his mouth and to blow my breath back into him. And that's what God did. That's what we celebrate here at Easter, that when we lost our breath, God saw the panic in our eyes, he saw the need that we had, he recognized our need for a savior and what he did is he sent his own son, to blow new life into our collapsed lungs, to give us the life and the breath that we had lost. We had the breath of God, but through sin we lost it. And God couldn't bear it. He couldn't bear it. And so he made a promise to make a way for us to be restored to get life set back into our lungs and to be revived with his life again. And he did this through his son, Jesus, who came to earth as a man just like us to pay the price for the sin that robbed us of our breath. To pay the price. And so we know that uh, on Palm Sunday, a week ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's come to give us our breath back. And we know that he was arrested and he was beaten and he was persecuted and he had the crown of thorns pressed into his head, why, to give us our breath back. And we know that he then went to the cross, he carried that cross through the streets of Jerusalem while people mocked him and he was nailed to it, not for one second calling upon his heavenly authority to rescue him because he was passionate about giving us our breath back. And then we see Mark 15, verse 33, what happened as Jesus died on the cross. It says, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His breath is being removed. His breath is being taken so that we can have our breath back. God, in that moment, turned his back on Jesus dying on the cross in judgment so that he would not have to turn his back on us in judgment. There was a sacrifice. There was an exchange. And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. They started mocking him. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, uh, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. They keep mocking him. But Jesus is busy dying for the same person that's mocking him. The same people that are crying out, the same people that are spitting at him, the same people that are jeering as he dies on the cross and as he hangs there for those three hours is the same people that Jesus is dying for. And I often want to judge the people that nailed Jesus to the cross, but ultimately it was my sin that nailed him there. Ultimately, it was our sin that nailed him there. And even when we were rebels and sinners, he still gave up his breath for us. That's the heart of God. Verse 37, and with a loud cry, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. He spent his last breath. He blew it out from his lungs. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, that which separated us from the most holy place with God, from top to bottom God taught. And when the centurion, and I love this, who stood facing him, the one who had just mocked him, stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. When he saw how Jesus breathed his last. Incredibly powerful moment. The picture of Jesus on the cross as he takes the full weight of our sin upon him and breathes his last with a loud cry and dies for our sins. The same centurion soldier that had just nailed him to that cross. When he saw how the way in which he breathed his last, he said, this is the son of God. You see, when you recognize what Jesus did for you on the cross, when you realize that he gave his breath so that you can have yours back and that he put the spirit of life, the ruach, the breath of God, back into us. It's like you've been underwater for a long time and the panic has set in and you've begun to believe that your entire life is over and that there's no coming back from this and that you are ultimately going to die in this space and all of a sudden as all of those thoughts come to your mind, you break the surface of the water and you take in a big pocket of oxygen back into your lungs and there is a a relief and a gratitude and a joy and a life that comes over you as as that oxygen goes into your lungs and, and spreads out, it takes life to every cell in your body again and you are revived. That's what happens the moment you recognize that Jesus breathed his last so that you can breathe again. Your life, your body, your, your, your spirit, everything about you comes to life again. This is the, the great message, the good news of the cross is that his death gave us life. This is what Jesus has, did, has done. Our lives were God-breathed but then we lost our breath. And so he gave up his breath here on good friday so that we can breathe again and that means that we become spiritually alive again. You see this is not about you being a bad person and then trying hard to be a good person. It's nothing to do with this. It. It's got to do with the fact that when we're not in christ that we are dead people. And what he makes us is alive, living people. That's the message of the gospel. That you were once dead, but now you are alive. Now you have life. And that means that you can communicate with God again. You can experience Him. You can talk to Him. You can pray to Him. You can hear His voice again because your spirit is alive. And that also means that all the plans and the purposes that God had for you, that He had planned and purposed before you were even born, when you were just an idea in God's heart, a passion in His mind, All of those things, they have not been taken away. They've come back to life. I want to tell you, no matter how you feel you have failed, God's plans for your life have not been taken away. They are still there. Amen? Amen. They are still there. And He has given you life so that you can walk in His purpose and ultimately bring Him glory. It is our new life as we live as new creations that brings glory to Jesus and His life and what He has done. So we can walk with God, and you can walk, no matter who you are, even if you only come to church on Easter, or once a year, or whatever it might be, this morning, God's breath is for you. He breathed it out for you, so that you can take in a deep breath this morning. And I want us to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the band to come up one more time, and we're going to sing that song, it's your breath in my lungs, and so I pour out my praise. It's his breath that has given us life. And so we pour out our praise to him and to him only. We recognize that the life that we have this morning comes from Jesus and Jesus only. And so we wanna worship him with the breath that he has given us. And so I'm gonna invite you just to stand right now. We're almost done today. But let's not miss this opportunity to give him glory for what he has done.